It's been my privilege to talk for last week and this week on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, as this is part of the the series that we're presenting on the the great uh, truths of our faith and uh, and using the Apostles' Creed as as our template. Uh, I'm constantly amazed at the number of police dramas on television, and especially the investigation kind, like CSI. There's CSI Las Vegas, and there's CSI Miami, and and I suspect if the Canadians get their way, there'll be a CSI Milton in a few days to come, but uh, perhaps uh, not. The uh, In each program, there is a mystery. Who did the crime? How was it done? What's the motive of the of the uh, evil that's done? What's the means? What's the opportunity? And uh, with great improvement in the techniques of of uh, investigating these cases, they can even go back in time and solve some of the crimes that were never solved in the past. And they call those crimes cold cases. And uh, those crimes are being solved because of the modern techniques like uh, spect. Uh, spectrometry and and DNA analysis and uh, investigating parts of evidence that could not be investigated in the past. And uh, I'm I must admit that uh, I'm partial to some of these Who Done It series, and I watch them from time to time. The last one I watched that the one of the men in the laboratory at the uh, the police investigation unit was saying the evidence does not lie. People can lie, but the evidence does not lie. Today what we want to do is answer the question, did Jesus really die? There was a crime. There was an offense. There was a crucifixion. But did Jesus really die? Or was it a fabrication? Some people have thought that it was a fabrication. A great deal of, of uh, this world is convinced that uh, Jesus did not die. In fact, uh, the, the Muslim tradition says that Jesus uh, uh, recovered and he went uh, to uh, the, the Middle East, uh, farther east, and they have a burial site for him. And so uh, part of the, the Muslim faith is that Jesus did not die. Then there are others who say that it was just a myth. It really doesn't matter whether Jesus died or not uh, because the essence of the thing is, is, is the, the spirit of it. It's that uh, we can uh, take uh, a great uh, hope and, and uh, we can model our lives after such uh, an example as Christ made. And uh, the, the fact of it is not the real issue. Uh, whether it's true or not, whether it's a myth or not, does not matter. It's the faith of it. It's just believing it, whether it's true or not. Now, this kind of thinking is very prevalent today, uh, but God is a God of truth. He's a God of light. In him is no darkness at all. And when God talks, he talks truth, and there's no lie in him. And for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ and who love the word of God, uh, we do not like a lie either, and we do not base our faith upon a lie. 
Our faith is an honest faith, and therefore it's a victorious faith. It is built on truth, not lies or myth. There is uh, uh, coming next week the beginning of the celebration of of uh, the resurrection, and we're going to hear some some wonderful sermons on the resurrection. And uh, there's a verse in in the scriptures that says this: If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And uh, that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. Now, if there was no real death, then there was no real resurrection. There was no, there was, if there was no death, there's no return from death. And so the resurrection is officially canceled if the death has been canceled. And uh, so without the death, there's no resurrection. And what gives meaning to the, the, the full story of the gospel is both of them, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We hold both to be valid. We hold both to be truthful. We hold both to be fact. Our faith rests upon these things. So did Jesus really die? Yes, he did. We have the evidence. Now, before we go further, let us just uh, 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 rehearse once again the Apostles' Creed. I wonder if you could stand. We're going to say it together once again. And uh, by the end of this series, we'll have a really good idea about the essentials of our faith because we've been saying them together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the evidence. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to uh, we're going to uh, dress up like. Uh, investigators, just like Sherlock Holmes, and we're going to put that hat on and going to put the cloak on, and uh, we're going to uh, pick up our magnifying glass, and the pipe is optional, by the way, Uh, and we're going to look at the evidence, and uh, there are three parts to the evidence of Christ's death that we want to look at today. First of all, the evidence before the cross, secondly, the evidence at the cross, and thirdly, the evidence after the cross. The first thing, then, we want to see is the evidence before the cross. And for that, we go back into the Old Testament, to the book of uh, Isaiah, the great Old Testament prophet. Isaiah was the prophet preeminently of salvation. He announces salvation more than all the prophets. And uh, we're going to look at that wonderful passage, Isaiah chapter 53. And this is, I believe, evidence because it pertains to 
the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. This death was announced. And according to the parlance of the police, the death was premeditated. So, Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, penned these words concerning the coming of Messiah over 700 years before Christ was born. They, des- they describe great suffering and rejection. Look at these words in Isaiah chapter 4, beginning at verse uh, 3 to 5. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. He's talking here about a violent, a violent death. Being pierced through, the Lord Jesus was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was crushed. They were crushing blows that were laid on the Lord. The rod was an instrument of crushing when they beat him over the head. And when he fell under the weight of the cross, there was crushing going on. Chastening is a general idea for being beat up, being chastened, being beat up, being harried, being pushed and, and pummeled. Jesus Christ was chastened. And then lastly, he was scourged. The, the, uh, the scourging it's in itself could be a, a life-threatening event. And uh, the Romans, the only, the only thing that the Roman soldiers were told not to do is don't kill the person at the scourging. They've got to get to the cross. Other than that, you do what you want. You inflict as many beatings as you, you desire. And so Jesus was well and truly scourged. These words describe the crime scene very accurately and the brutality of the crucifixion. It says in, in uh, verses 8 and 9, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? taken away, cut off. These are words that denote death. Jesus Christ really died according to the prophecies of Isaiah. And then the grave was assigned by the Romans. that They, they, they would have taken his body down and they would have thrown him in a common grave for criminals. And so his assigned grave by the by the Romans, would have been a common grave. Yet, uh, as we heard last week, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, a secret follower of the Lord, took his body and laid him in his own tomb, a new tomb. And Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. Now, some people have said, well, all of these things could be arranged. Well, if I was trying to become a great leader of, of, uh, of Israel and, and a uh, charismatic uh, Messiah, I would definitely not have arranged such a terrible, terrible uh, beating, such a terrible de- demise. Yes, a rich man could arrange to have him put in a grave, but, but uh, uh, overall, these, this is very convincing evidence that the Lord Jesus indeed died and the events surrounding the crucifixion are true. Now we come to motive. 
because it says in chapter 53 and verse 10, and this is a most exceptional verse, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. The Lord makes his life an offering for sin. Not only was it in the evil heart of man to, to punish Christ and to do away with him, and the motive certainly was jealousy and, and evil intent against the Lord, but there was a loving motive as well from the Heavenly Father. It was the Lord's will to make him an offering for sin. And so there was love in the motive, a desire to put the, the punishment on Christ so that all those who would follow him afterwards would be free of such a terrible end. Turn over to Psalm chapter 22 because we have more evidence from before the cross. In Psalm chapter 22, it says, the very words which Jesus cried from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and the words of my groaning? This is a psalm that was penned by David. If Isaiah was 700 years before the cross, then David wrote 1,000 years before the cross. And he echoed these, at least he pronounced these words, uh, perhaps in some desperate uh, situation that he was in, but it's hard to imagine that David would have been suffering the things of Psalm chapter 22 in his own life because there was nothing in, that in recorded history that connoted such a terrible beating and such a terrible death that, that David suffered. And so it, it, it has uh, been uh, uh, believed by all who love the Lord Jesus Christ that this is a messianic psalm, a psalm that tells us about the, the coming of the Lord Jesus 1,000 years before the fact. Let's look at some of the, the parts of the psalm because they tell us about the suffering of the Messiah. And these words could only fit crucifixion. And what is, what is the, the, the uh, uh, genius of, of all of this is that God knew how his son would die. And God put it into the heart of David to say these words which could only be filled by a crucifixion experience. By the way, the word, the, the word crucifixion, uh, uh, we, we derive another word from it. We derive the word excruciating. Excruciating simply means this, out of the cross. In other words, when I have excruciating pain, the only thing that I could possibly liken it to is the cross excruciating. So David penned these years, thousand years before Christ, and, and 800 years before crucifixion was even invented as a form of torture. This is what he says in verse 14. I am poured out like water. Poured out like water. 
the whole the whole aspect of the of the crucifixion was to completely destroy the man to destroy him physically to break him down to pour him out with the kind of suffering that he would experience then he says all my bones are out of joint you ever had uh, a dislocated uh, a joint how many have a dislocated joint it hurts doesn't it? Dislocation can hurt even worse than a fracture. Until you put it back in place, it's, it, it indeed is excruciating pain. Uh, what the cross accomplished was to dislocate all the major joints, especially the joints of the arms. By the time the, 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 the uh, sufferer was on the cross for any amount of time, his arms would, would have extended about six inches below, beyond their normal reach because of the weight of the body, pulling the arms out, dislocating the shoulder, dislocating the elbow, dislocating the wrist. Everything was dislocated. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. Weak, weak. The scourging and then the cross would have weakened his heart. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. The extreme thirst because of blood loss and then because of sweat loss. Uh, the extreme thirst was, was part of the suffering of the cross. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. And thou dost lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. When you were put up on the cross, all of your enemies were all the way around you. There was no there was no escape. And then finally, a most telling sentence. They pierced my hands and my feet. And of course, the way to crucify that the Romans adopted was to take strong nails and place those nails in the hands and in the feet. One on the left hand, one on the, left, uh, on the right hand, and the feet would be put together so that one nail would go through both, both feet at the same time. They pierced my hands and my feet. What he's talking about is crucifixion. I can count all my bones. When a person is, is, is suspended on the cross, uh, whether they have any flesh on their bones or not, after they become exhausted, all you see is the rib cage. It's just bones hanging out. They look, they stare at me. A cross was a very uh, public uh, uh, execution that was part of the ignominy and shame of the cross and, and that it was totally public in, in front of the eyes of all they divide my garments among them and from my clothing they cast lots and David put this in a thousand years before and what do the soldiers do they, they, divide, they divide his garments among them and for his clothing they cast lots this then is the evidence before the cross God said a thousand years before, my son is going to die, and he's going to die by crucifixion. Now we look at the evidence at the cross. At the cross. The evidence is this. There were thousands of eyewitnesses. Thousands of eyewitnesses. The population of Jerusalem at the feast time, especially the feast of the Passover, a very holy feast, was estimated at over one million at the time 
over one million people would gather in and around the, the precincts of Jerusalem. So this was not done in an out-of-the-way place. And the cross would be put out near a major thoroughfare so that people walking by would see it. The, the number of eyewitnesses was, was huge. And because of the number of eyewitnesses, those who tried to discredit the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection had to work very hard to discredit it. Now, we know that there was an attempt to con conceal the resurrection by the leaders of, of the Jews. And uh, it says in, in verse uh, 12, we'll start at verse 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. There was an attempt to, cons to, to hide the resurrection. There was never an attempt to discredit the cross or the crucifixion or the death. Why? They would have been laughed to scorn because thousands saw it. They wanted to discredit that Christ may have risen from the dead. But there was no, there was no denying the fact of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Too many eyewitnesses. They all saw it. The next reason why we say that it's a fact that Jesus died is because of Roman efficiency. Roman efficiency. It was the Romans who perfected the, the crucifixion. And uh, it was the Romans who knew how to do it. And the, Roman, the Romans were, were people who were efficient and they learned how to follow orders and follow orders to the T. Therefore, when Pilate was asked by Joseph to, to, to give him the body of the Lord Jesus, he said, I've got to make sure he's dead first. So he sent for the centurion. And he says, I want you to tell me if this, if this convict is indeed dead. And the centurion confirmed it with the soldiers and came back to, to Pontius Pilate and said, he's really dead. And then Pilate released the body of Jesus. The death of Jesus was confirmed to Pilate by the Roman centurion, not an old ordinary foot soldier who may have been careless, but a centurion, a man trained to lead, and a man trained in the art of killing the convict. So there was a chain of command to authenticate Jesus' death. And then finally, at the cross, there's an amazing piece of evidence that confirms to us that Jesus really died. And it's the evidence of the blood and the water. We read in John chapter 19, verse 33, it says, uh, start at verse 32. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. The reason is, is because the Jews wanted the bodies down from the cross before the holy day, the Sabbath that was coming up. And so they asked Pilate 
to dispose of the, the bodies before the, 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 uh, the Sabbath began. And so the, the way to hasten death was to break the legs. As soon as, as, soon as the legs were broken, the, the other men on the cross could no longer lift their bodies to get a breath. And without being able to lift their bodies from the sagged position that they were in, they couldn't get a breath. The real death of crucifixion usually was suffocation because they couldn't breathe. And, and the breaking of the legs meant the men couldn't breathe and they would quickly die. But when they came to Jesus, when they came to Jesus, they found that his, he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that, that he tells the truth. And he testifies that you also may believe. I do not think that John really knew how significant this testimony was. Perhaps the Lord had told him, but anatomically I don't think he knew what what he was looking at. The sudden flow of blood and water can only be explained medically and in this way. After a person has died, there's no flow of water from the body. But when you put a sword into the chest cavity and you pierce the right side of the heart, the only remaining blood in the body that has not been congealed is in the right side of the heart. And, and along with that, there would be a flow of water from the area around the heart called the pericardium because in great suffering, we get pericarditis, we get water around the heart. So medically speaking, what happened? Jesus' heart was pierced. Jesus' heart was pierced. Now nobody, people might escape a severe bleeding. Nobody escapes when your heart is torn open. That's what happened to the Lord Jesus. His heart was opened and out came the blood and the water. Now we know for sure Now the evidence is clear. Our Savior really died. Why? Because his heart was torn open. Then the evidence after the cross. And uh, this is wonderful evidence. First of all, from secular sources. There's a Josephus, was a a Jew, a historian, who lived uh, in the first century, And he wrote his great work called The Antiquities in approximately 93 AD, some 60 years after the death of Jesus. And in it, he says this. When Pilate, upon hearing him, or Jesus, accused by men of the highest standing among us, he's talking about the Jews, had condemned him to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day, he appeared to them, restored to life. Whether Josephus indeed believed in the resurrection, he he reported it as the belief of the Christians, but he also reported this. Jesus was crucified. And what you're getting here is the story, the history, through a secular source, not just those who are persuaded because they have faith, those who are recording real history. That's the amazing confirmation 
of, of Josephus. And then there's another historian, and this time a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus, who wrote, who lived from 55 AD to 120 AD, and in his book, The Annals and Histories, he wrote, Christus, the founder of the name, the name Christian, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius, but the pernicious superstition, repressed for a time, broke out again, not only through Judea, where the, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also. Now, he intended, by all means, to, to uh, badmouth what was going on. The Christians were not in favor in Rome, and uh, they were being blamed for all manner of trouble in the Roman Empire. But uh, Tacitus, quite by accident gives veracity to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ because he speaks of it. He talks about the fact that he was put to death by Pontius Pilate. Those of us who know, in the, uh, who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ might find this academic, what we're talking about now. We, we believe that Jesus died, but you want to you know many people do not believe the story was real at all. And if you are struggling to find some spiritual edification in what I'm talking about right now, I want you to be armed with the truth so that you can tell other people Jesus really died. And when we're coming to Easter, it's not just about Easter eggs and and bunnies. It's about a man who gave his life to save us from our sins. Oh, I thought that was a myth just like the Easter bunny. No, it's not. No, it's not. And so the, 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 the central truth of the, of the Christian faith is that Jesus died on a cross and rose again from the dead. And that truth we have just commemorated in communion. On this very day, hundreds of millions of people on this Sunday morning are gathering all over the world and in various ways and in various forms from from, uh, little huts out in the jungle to great cathedrals in great cities, they they are sharing the bread and the wine. For what purpose? To commemorate a death. To commemorate a death. We remember our Savior in his death, and that is what Jesus asked us to do. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely cardinal, absolutely primary to the Christian faith. Without that, we, don't, we do not have salvation. And another truth that is often celebrated around the world and in this auditorium is the truth of baptism. It says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. If a person wants to follow Jesus with all their heart, and by the way, lest you get the wrong idea about baptism, baptism isn't for people who have arrived and they've got it all together, and then they say, well, I'll be baptized because now I'm good enough to get baptized. Nobody's ever good enough to be baptized. No, nobody's ever good enough to, to identify with, with the Lord in this way and, and, to, and to walk it, it, the way the Lord walked and be, to be buried with him in baptism. 
It's not about being good enough. It's that I have a heart of thankfulness to God and my intent, my intent is to follow him in his death. Now, what does that mean? It means that Christians can afford to give up their their own life because somebody, somebody else is living in them. Christians can die to their self-life. It's not about me and my desires for my life. It's about me wanting to live out the life of Jesus. And that's what baptism is all about. So if that's, if you've never been baptized, and that's your intention, I love Jesus and I want to live out the Christ's life. I want Christ to live in me. I want to live for him and live, live uh, 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 dead to myself and alive unto Christ. Enough of my old ways. I want to follow Jesus' ways. If that's your intention, then get baptized. Because when you're baptizing, you're putting your seal on your commitment and you're saying, that's what I want to do. It all rests on the fact that Jesus died for me first. And now I'm prepared to die in order to show my love for him. Lastly, there's the evidence in every believer's heart. What is your response when you hear the Christ, that Christ died on the cross for you, dear Christian? Perhaps you've been cold in heart. Perhaps you haven't thought about this deeply in, in, in the last uh, little while in your life. But what happens in a believer's life is that when they come back to the cross, when they come back to the cross, they realize the great price that Jesus gave for them and their, their faith is renewed and their passion and their love for the Lord is renewed. The, the, the cross has a wonderful, wonderful ability to refresh me and revive me. And every Christian has that, that experience. Touched by the cross once again. It's real. Jesus did so much for me. What could I do for him now? How could I live in such a way as to honor the one who gave everything for me on the cross? This must be our heart commitment in response to the story of Christ's death. Let's have the music team come up. I'm just going to commit us to the Lord in prayer as they do. And they're going to sing, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Father in heaven, we thank you for the evidence, such powerful evidence, before the cross, the, 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 the testimonies of the prophets that Jesus was going to come and truly die, give his life as an offering for sin, and suffer the crucifixion long before Crucifixion was anything thought of in the heart of man. And the evidence at the cross, the witnesses, the, 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 uh, the brutal efficiency of, of Rome, the Roman armies, the, the, the blood and the wine, the blood and the water that flowed from Jesus' side. And we thank you, Lord, for the evidence after the cross that, that millions and millions of people are willing to share communion, some at great cost. Uh, millions are willing to be baptized to follow Jesus in his cross. So, Lord, help us to be revived in our spirits this morning, to be willing to give our all for you. Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Amen.